Hi, and welcome to Network AF. This week, I'm talking to Bill Morantz at Linode. We're talking about how he got into technology. We're talking about open source, netbox, systems of truth and record, and how that ties to um, automation. We're also talking about mentorship, recruiting people when we're growing very fast and, and, and trying to grow the, grow the pool, and also about problem solving and how important that is and how it can be really helpful to bring to networking if you're interested, even without some of the deep networking technical details background. So thanks, please join us. Hi, and welcome to Network AF. This week, I'm with my friend Bill Morantz at uh, Linode. We'll be talking about uh, networking, open source software, uh, decision-making, community, um, and let's get to it. Um, Bill, could you give us a quick introduction? Yes, uh, I'm Bill Morantz. I'm the director of uh, Network Strategy and Interconnection at Linode. That's uh, quite an interesting mouthful of a title, but I, I wear a great many hats doing um, you know, network engineering architecture down to you know DWDM and and cable plans, and then also a lot on the sourcing and strategy and negotiation side, uh, working with data center providers, different colos, working on uh, ordering cross connects, turning up peering transit, and, and other capacity. And uh, you know, I'm also our, our peering coordinator. Got it. Um... And um, thank you. I have been a Linode customer for quite some time. I enjoy using it. And um, uh, it's also cool as, uh, as uh, to talk with other folks that are doing networking in Philadelphia as, as this is my background. So, um, and, and so how did you get into um, tech? How did you get into computers and, and how did you find networking? Well, I guess <laughs> when I started it, we, we, that's what we would call it. We called it computers. Hey, that's like, I always knew when I grew up, I wanted to be in computers mm-hmm. from I got my first computer in fourth, probably fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I got to, to high school, they started actually having, you know, BBSs and, and dial up and some tiny lands. And I said, well, this is, this is really cool. I guess in, in freshman year of high school. And then I went to actually a specialized, um, technology school at the time, a magnet school, starting from my, my sophomore year called a high technology high school. So I said, all right, I really wanted to go into this area. And when I started to learn programming, I was like, you know, this is cool, but it's not something that I could do every day. And I said, and I don't want to be a, you know, an IT generalist either. And then I started learning more about networking. I said, this is cool. And the internet was really starting to explored at that time. And yes, you had the AOL CDs and you've got mail and everything, but it was also, you started to see commercial, you know, ISPs. When I went off to college, we really had networks in the dorms. I said, okay, this is, this is cool. This is what I want to do. Work on the, you know, the fundamental infrastructure that gets users to whatever applications are, are out there. And at that time it was, you know, mostly email and some basic business websites. And then it, quickly developed. And then while I was in college, you know, peer-to-peer file sharing really started mostly for, you know, bootleg uses. But uh, at that time it exploded and I was done with college and said, I, you know, I want to go work for an ISP. I had worked for AT&T actually. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. My, my high school had a really cool mentorship program. It's, it, it, was, it was science and engineering and technology, but it was really more math, physics, chemistry, Mm-hmm. electrical engineering and they weren't really sure what what to do with me and they said oh you know we have someone at AT&T and I said okay I'll, I'll go look at telecom that sounds really cool and they kind of you know put me in a basement with a box and and gave me a Cheswick and Balavin's book on firewalls and said why don't you figure out you know internet firewalls <laughs> and, and which was you know yeah. really in its very infancy those days and said here's some books understand TCP IP understand you know, routing and give a presentation at the end of it. And I said, okay, you know, this is, this is really awesome. And, you know, I figured it out and, and got it working. I said, well, I, this is definitely, you know, what, what I want to do for, for my career. And then every kind of summer and winter during college, I went back to at t Bell Labs and, you know, helped them out and 
did a lot of general IT support and some Windows server support, but there were also a lot of, you know, Cisco routers and, and other stuff. And I just started playing with it and said, all right, this is you know, it's really what I, what I want to do. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, great that you had that opportunity. When I showed up at college, I was interested in distributed processing. And I mean, obviously, it's related. You can't really distribute anything if you don't have things connecting. But I fell into the networking side of it um, and uh, got into optimizing multi-user dungeon games. So, you know, learned Unix IPC, but also, I mean, we, we did on VMS a little bit, but not my not to my taste, but also, you know, then sockets and decentralizing and streams. And we even did some OSI stuff, which I think we only now have in ISIS in the, uh, you know, in, in the... <laughs> I think that's that's the only remnants of it that are that are you know sort of in networking, um, and uh, you know that was back in the days that um, that was back in the days where a lot of stuff was open source, but that didn't mean you could get it to compile between uh, uh, you know Ezix, Irix, AT and T, BSD, Ultrix. Um, STI, HPUX, you know, whatever, some of the libraries with this. The, so, um, but, um, you know, you mentioned open source is something that you use and, you know, is a passion. Um, curious, um, you know, what your, you know, nowadays, what your interaction um, with uh, open source is um, personally in, in the job, um, you know, networking. I mean, it's mostly around, you know, Python scripts that can do networking things, you know, manipulate. IP addresses and, and, and the like, or, you know, render given some set of data and a templating language, render that, you know, template or, or diff that template and say, okay, what, what, what changes occurred here? Um, most recently, I, I've been using NetBox a lot. And I, and I find like, you know, as, as everyone's building out and scaling these awesome cloud networks globally, there's a lot of... <laughs> often a lack of appreciation that there's still something physical there. And, and NetBox is great for, okay, I want to trace a cable from point A to, to point Z. And, and I have a DWDM network and I have a cross connect and a carrier hotel that's bringing back N by 10 gig or N by 100 gig circuits. And the NOC needs to be able to, to troubleshoot that. And how, how does that all, all connect? And how does it multiplex up in, okay, I need to swap out an optic. I need to change a cable. Where, where do I even look? And, and NetBox was, was great for that. And then once I have all that information in there, they have a, you know, an API. So I can then query that API and, and use their functions and automatically, you know, generate network interface. So then say, okay, this is, this is point A, this is point Z, this is the carrier at point A. And this is the dark fiber that it rides to a carrier hotel. So someone mm -hmm. can jump on the router and say, oh, okay, what, what's going on here now? Okay, everything looks good logically. Where, where's the physical tie-in and how does it tie in? And just immediately look that up in, in NetBox and using, I, I don't program our, our alerting systems, but we do use a lot of great you know, open source Prometheus and, and other things. And they support labels and you can put that label and it imports it from the interface description directly into that system. And then when it fires an alert and says, okay, this is that utilization or it's, you know, hit a certain threshold of errors, light levels, what, what have you. And then there it says, here's your NetBox link. You look on that, you click a little button and it's gonna show you that the path from A to Z, potentially across dozens of data centers and, and dark fiber and, and cross connects and patch panels. So you can really you know, start troubleshooting. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when we started Kentec, we built in the ability to be very flexible with that kind of tagging, as you mentioned. You know, um, some of the time series and other open source systems have as well. But one of our challenges has been getting you know people sort of giggle hysterically or sigh or cry or fall under the table when we say, "Where's your source of truth?" that we can pull from, you know, rack locations or what an application is to IP address mappings or, you know, whether it's CMDB, IPAM, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and it's been great to see the growth of, um, um, of NetBox and NS1 on the DNS side has really 
um, I think taken on the project and, and invested heavily and is, uh, you know, is focused on that. Um, so, you know, it's great to see. Um, it's, it's really hard to automate when you don't know what the parts of the plane are or in the Kintic sense, when you have no dashboard, um, it's really hard to, you know, make a flight plan and, and, and make things go. Um, is, uh, is, uh, you know, Python and network libraries, templating, um, is that, um, something, um, used across the group, um, uh, you know, inside, uh, Linode? Yes, it's, it's very widely used. And I mean, everyone kind of, we don't necessarily contribute as a network team to open source, but we're using it. Everybody writes changes for templates mm -hmm. and or the underlying data. But I mean, it really starts with that, that single source of truth and the data model. And then you feed that into the templates and then you get, you know, the simplest thing, even though it's very complicated, <laughs> is, is interface descriptions. And then that can feed all of your monitoring and alerting, as you said, just tie right into to Kentic and classify your interfaces as peering transit backbone, customer data center interconnects, or, or whatever else you have to, to then you know capacity manage or cost manage and send up alerts to the right people. Yeah, we we definitely see that um, the older the network is uh, vintage wise, the more likely there is to be at least some part which has, you know, is the dungeon of, if there is an interface description, it's wrong. And most usually there isn't, um, but uh, less in web companies and more in, you know, um, companies that evolved organic, that orga or evolved since SneakerNet was a thing, um, you know, where you're just starting to connect stuff together. Um, but that is really what we see as the basic level of, like, if you're, if you're just doing that life cycle, keeping things clean, Starting what you're describing with Python, that's really um, uh, 90 something percentile actually for companies. There's all this vendor juju about, oh, well, everything is automated and everyone's behind it isn't, you know, talking to their computers and, you know, like, like, uh, like Scotty in, in, in the Star Trek, whatever movie that was. But, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's the struggle that everyone has right now, I think so. Well, there's, you know, they want some fear of missing out and, and they want to sell their software. And mm -hmm. sometimes their software implies a, you know, a design that may not solve your, your problems. Again, that's another topic for maybe a panel on automation, but I was surprised how much you actually have to know how the router thinks about itself in the CLI to use some APIs. So it's not like you wave your magic wand and say, you know, I just want to do this to that. Um, and, you know, you have a policy affected and then, you know, a lot of the most advanced intent stuff is for very, I'll just say constrained solutions and topologies, not for, you know, sort of internet facing the stuff that we, that we actually face. And we get asked yeah. to solve that all the time. I'm like, that is a hard problem. That I mean, is a lot of those tools are, I, I don't want to discount them because a lot of them are, are great, but they're really for data center clauses and, 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 and fabrics. We have a very fixed topology when, yeah. when, I mean. My real background is backbone engineering and no two routers, fortunately, are alike. So it's more instead of saying, okay, this is what a router looks like. It's like, no, these are all the different components that could be. There's peering, there's transit, there's backbone links, there's X routing policies, and then you combine them to make a router. Instead of strictly defining a router, you define all the components that go into that, that device. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of progress on that. And I think we'll see. Even just, you know, we've had Rancid forever uh, to do config monitoring, but mm -hmm. sort of the the inverse, the make it so command, the NCCM network config and changing config management, you know, doing that at scale, that's still something that's uh, that's evolving, which again, we get asked to solve, but is we sort of view that as, as outside the purview, you know, for our focuses right now of observability. So, um, yeah. But, but one more thing I like is, you know, you do the network configuration you do the templates, you have the templated interface descriptions, you have what you think the topology is. I've always wanted to write something, I've never had the time, to reverse engineer that with LLDP and say, well, does what I describe and I think exists actually exists? Because LLDP is really good at telling you what's actually there. <laughs> uh, let's talk offline about that. We actually have a script that we've done. Um, in fact, I didn't tell you about that commercially, but, um, you know, it's like, when you have, as you said, Python APIs, um, sometimes you can put stuff together 
And so when we see people asking for features that aren't exactly there, but you know, you can use this platform, you can use Netbox to grab some of that. Um, in fact, on some devices, um, you know, even if you don't have a CLI scraping mechanism, you, you see LDB in the MIB or in streaming telemetry, you know, so then you can combine these different things to put it together. It doesn't always have to be the most elegant thing. In fact, I call it exigent engineering. Everyone else calls it Avi Pro code, but you know, it's like, let's just demonstrate Let's build a running specification. This could be done, and then have the smart people that actually write software, you know, professionally look at how to do that, you know, better. So um, we can talk about that use case. Cool. Um, so I, I am jealous. Um, I had a uh, wizard who had a lot of Bell Labs experience who got me into Unix when I was um, in my teens. But I did not get to work at the at the at the uh, Mecca uh, Bell Labs. Um, my uncle shut me off from the ARPANET after about thirty minutes of me poking around, actually pre Unix even, you know, like uh, PDP days. So that was a mentorship program that you were on, you know, as part of the high school. Was it? Yeah, it was a senior senior mentorship program, and then I kind of extended it more because I was I was so you know I was so into it and. It was, you, you couldn't go to a community college, you, you know, they didn't have Cisco academies or, or, or any of that at the time. There, there were a few vendors, what vendors, you know, existed, didn't have formal training when I was looking for, you know, to go on to university for, for a four-year degree. It was, you know, IT or information systems. It was not, there was no network engineering. That wasn't, that wasn't the field. So kind of had to, you know, find my own way there and i definitely learned a lot more and during my summers and winters at at&t than i did in any of the you know coursework i mean obviously right. i learned more in the coursework but not necessarily about networking and then i mean i guess it was my senior year i did end up taking a, a graduate level class mm -hmm. in specifically computer networking it was taught by it was an adjunct professor but he was the, like, the chief network architect for for the city of pittsburgh and i'm like all right this is wow. this is really cool but at, at that point, it was, you know, it was an it was a night class. It was mostly for people getting a, you know, an advanced or, or a second degree. And it was unfortunately, it was a very good class. It just wasn't, I had already achieved most of those skills by that point. So I was like, oh, I wasn't learning all that that much. But it was it was good to validate what I had kind of learned in different pieces on my own from somebody who had, had really been doing this for for years and say, oh, okay. I, well, there's the formal, here's how it works and distance vector and, you know, all that. Right. But um, then there's the, just because you can do X doesn't mean you should, right? I mean, just because you yeah. can distribute routes doesn't mean that you should go to that as your first thing to do. Um, and, um, you know, you know how we learn these but, things. But, yeah, that today would be, I think it would be a very different course at a grad school today. Because the stuff that was taught then, you know, most people... That have come up through IT will have already known, and that would have been a lot more useful. It's like, okay, the books and the diagrams and a lot of the sample labs, well, well, no one would do that in the real world. So here's the problem, and these are possible ways to solve it. And which is really, you know, the best way, and, and the best way is not always the same for every company. And they may have different technical parameters, they have made different business parameters, they have made different, totally different cost structures and, and financing structures, or you know, a much more established company versus, okay, I need to get this up fast and quick and just do a proof of concept and say, hey, we can, hey, we can do this and prove it to someone that can then invest in this startup so we can really scale it and, you know. And it's, it's it really right. amazing, even the non-technical side. For me, I remember emailing the May East mailing list, like, how does this BGP thing work? Do I just show up and get peering? And and uh, I got an email from Bob Gibson who ran Case um, uh, and was like, call me. And he's like, well, this is a grand secret. You can't tell people. But like, I'm like, what's an MRI? And what's this? And how does peering work? And what's, what's, and, you know, it, it was like, I was lucky, you know, I had a mentor. I had uh, Dan Ellis, um, Alec uh, Peterson, you know, had different people that helped teach me these things. Because again, in the 90s, the, the, the information to lay it out there for people that weren't already deep into networking. I'll say, I, I call it for, you know, curious sysadmins, which is where I was coming from at the time, um, you know, was not so great. So um, 
you know, sounds like that was a great experience at AT&T. How do you think about, how do you think about mentorship today? Um, you know, as, as you're, you know, running things, leading, building teams. Yeah. I mean, I'd say in the early part of my career, I was so busy. I didn't have extra, extra cycles. And then when I was at Salesforce, I said, okay, to move up in the organization, you need to become a mentor and start, huh. um, you know, creating future leaders. I said, okay, great. If you're giving me the time to do it, I, I would love to do it. So being in the engineering organization, it was a more, you know, operations focused organization. And I would sometimes, you know, watch those tickets or be on the email threads. And I just kind of like interject myself and say, hey, maybe we could do it this way. And then and some people were very open to it and some people were, were not. And the people who are open to it then came, you know, started asking me more questions. Okay, well, why did you do it that way? What are, what are the other options? You know, thank you for that. I, I really like that. That's awesome. I want to learn more or people. You know, I wrote a lot of documentation at Salesforce and people would just kind of find that documentation and say, you know, I, this was, this was interesting you know, I, I'd like to learn more. If you're working in any projects, Bill, can can I be an understudy or could you, mm-hmm. you know, dole out part of that responsibility? And I was just, you know, happy to do it. And it was it was fulfilling. I, I, I think it really grew both, both sides, you know. And you learn a lot more and you can really have a crisper delivery of things if you have to teach it to somebody else. <laughs> Well, people Teaching ask, is harder than doing. It's like a, you do it all, do it all the time. You, you forget. But now, how am I going to, ex- how am I going to explain all those steps and why I do that, and how do I make that simple to to someone else who may not have the the years of experience or the technical background or even know some of the underlying technologies? So how can you really simplify that and, and draw diagrams or simple words and and get people moving? And and I find most people, you know appreciate that and, and want to to learn and you know I developed some really great long-term you know friendships with with my mentees that I you know still keep in touch with and they occasionally ask me technical questions. I mean we mostly talk about personal stuff now but you know technical question comes up here or there and you know I, I give my input and say hey I looked at it this way I said I didn't that's great I you know mm-hmm. I like different viewpoints and just there's so many different ways to to solve problems in, in networking and the right solution for company A could be very different from the right solution for company B, or they could be the same, just not necessarily at the same time due to organizational maturity or skill, you know, skill levels. It's just definitely been, okay, I didn't do this because we didn't have the monitoring or, or automation right. to, to build that kind of network at the time we didn't have the skill set to to support it but that doesn't mean that's not aspirational it's like okay we we're going to get there we're just not we're not there yet and just break up that project into the the smaller chunks and assign owners and say okay we're we're not there or the vendors could not be there i mean sometimes our needs are ahead of ahead of the technology i mean i know in some of your other podcasts you were talking about sonic packet over sonic yeah. like Oh man, an ATM. It's like, man, this is so much simpler. And then, you know, then carrier Ethernet became popular and Ethernet yeah, you know, waves. All it's the like, people boom. wanted MPLS, you know, dealt with bugs while they were getting it. There's always, you know, there's always trade offs. Um, you know, and I can say that with the hindsight of decades, I don't feel that old, but um, uh, when you teach people things and are helping people, um, you know, many of those people will go on to, I don't want to use a loaded word, but surpass at any given time, there may be something that you need to learn or an introduction that you need, or, you know, something they come around, you know, in business. So um, there's, you know, pluses to it also, I guess the, the trick and, and something I could do better too, is like, how do we show people that it's encouraged? You know, I think maybe sometimes we expect people to model the behavior, or I expect people to see that when people engage and ask questions and have the bright, shiny eyes, that, that good things happen. But, um, you know, maybe there's people from different backgrounds who um, or who are shyer, who don't, you know, look for non-structured, you know, interactions. So it sounds like Salesforce had a good structure for that. And it's something we think about um, and, you know, um, yeah. other companies think about is how do you how do you encourage that, you know, 
that that mentorship and, and connecting people. So, it, and, and some people are assertive, and, and as you said, and, and some people are are not. But it doesn't mean okay. I've seen this person do this good work, and they haven't reached out and asked for more. But I, I say, well, I have a project, and they've done something similar or shown an aptitude. At least give them a chance and say, hey, would you like to work on this with me? Mm-hmm. And of course they could say is, is no. And in the same in the other direction. I mean, somebody could always come out and say, Hey, Bill, do you have the time or, you know, do you want to work with me? And of course I could say is no. Usually I'm going to say yes. I can't say yes to, to everybody at, <laughs> at once. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And we, we definitely think the same way um, at the same time as we're growing, try to, we're, we're trying to think a lot about, that right now how do we formalize that you know um and so um you know that's something uh we're spending time on I'm, i've seen other companies of similar size you know a few hundred people um where you're not quite at the size where you have process and and everything formalized but um uh we want to take the best of what's going on and and, and try to scale it so yeah I, I don't know if the actual process being formalized is super helpful but i think the the baby step of at least providing the matching is like 90% of the solution. It's just, you know, finding people that are willing to teach and people that want to learn and, and mixing, putting them together. And maybe their styles don't work and maybe they need to move on to a different pairing, but. Well, and as you mentioned at Salesforce, also having the time to do it, right. The, yeah. the acknowledgement that it does take time. Um, but then you know, good things happen at the end, or maybe people decide that isn't for them and they find another path. So, um. well, time and, and, and patience, because there's always the, the, the quick way is to, to give somebody the answer, but they're not going to learn all that much. It's like, okay, well, how would you do this? Well, okay, this is wrong. Can you think about why it's wrong? Or have you thought about what would happen if this happened? And it's like, oh my, this is not, you know, a redundant design or, wow, I didn't, didn't anticipate that or I'm draining a router and I'm, I'm doing all the, the right things. I'm doing them in the wrong order. And okay, sometimes, well, well BGP's up. I've turned down ISIS and now, uh-oh, what happened? <laughs> sometimes you have people that are like, no, you're wrong. I will show you. And what's fun is usually 80% of the time, you know, they'll like, oh, okay, you're right. 20% of the time you might be wrong in your assumption, or there might be a different approach. And then that's also either way is, you know, a good outcome. Um, but uh, you're right. You have to. Allow- I recall one, a very long discussion about that <laughs> in one scenario. And they're just like, no, you're wrong. I said, let me diagram out exactly our topology and, 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 and why I'm right. And no, no, it's always going to pick a consistent route. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> well, people think that BGP does a lot of things that it doesn't. Doesn't do. And, you know, including really the deeper down you squint at uh, best path selection. Um, you know, people think networks are much more deterministic than they are and also underestimate bugs, um, which is a whole other topic of how much you have to do planning. People are like, well, you can't consider vendor bugs in your in your disaster scenarios I'm like oh oh yes you can you should um yes. you know because they occur in certain ways in the 90s it was like put the fitty card in and sparks shoot out the hissy port but today it's more consistent kinds of things that are just what you shouldn't do or it's like yeah i know it says you can have that many next tops but not really not they don't really mean it they you know it meant that their automated test didn't break but that's probably not a good idea again it's it can be hard uh in the non-network world too you know or the network world where we talked about open source some of the line is blurring between you know uh, what's a what's a service mesh and a network mesh and all that you use a new tool you know if you don't know how it fails and you're not actively developing it that's a dangerous position uh to be in because software you know is not perfect and fails all around um you know we're lucky uh that we have linux underneath and and uh that is run you know pretty well um and has gotten very stable but you know definitely things to look at speaking of that or have a controller that sits in your network that's then part of the path that you may break and now the controller can't talk to oh so many (laughs) multi-levels and now your network won't work (laughs) so speaking of that you know you mentioned this before problem solving 
right? Which is um, always reminded me of my physics teachers who are like starting from the basic laws of physics, derive this and this and this. And it's like, because um, networking is complex or, or lots of simple things that, that, that work together complex in especially internet connected real world applications. Um, you know, how do you think about problem solving, um, selecting, hiring, training, you know, mentoring around problem solving and networking? I guess from, from my perspective, it's, it's really crisply defining the problem in, in the user space and understanding how someone's going to use that application or that part of the infrastructure or how many things are layered on top of that infrastructure. So then what features you need to deliver and do you need one infrastructure? Do you need multiple infrastructures? Do you, you know, cater to the least common denominator there or, or, or how do you, you know, how do you really approach that? And then just looking at a bunch of diverse backgrounds and saying, well, how did you solve that problem? Or how would you solve that problem if you never solved it? And just coming at it like, okay, I've never solved this problem. I don't necessarily even understand how the underlying protocols work. But if I was going to solve that problem, or if it was a greenfield, like what, what things would I consider? And I just find that that's very helpful. That there's somebody who's always solved the problem and always solved the problem one way could be a lot less useful than someone who solved the problem five times in five different ways, or someone who's never even solved the problem, but just is curious and wants to really ask and understand and say, okay, if this broke or, okay, well, now we're not using this device in a car. We're using this device underground, right? <laughs> how, how does that change the, the problem space? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know that's an extreme example, but a lot of companies at Kentech, we don't do the, um, you know, the crazy, you know, the crazy, either stand up at a whiteboard and reverse a binary tree, or or the uh, how many light bulbs are there in the United States? But I think it's definitely true that um, even if you don't get to the right answer. Um, uh, understanding how people can break something down and, and attack it, um, whether it's a learning or whether it's problem solving is helpful. Um, it's another thing that um, there's a lot of wisdom about that people might have, might not have. And so we also think about how do we set expectations about say an interview? You know, what, what are the conversations we're gonna have? What are you gonna do? Don't worry if you don't know the exact answer, we're trying to get at this. Um, again, as we scale, we, we think a lot about that. So, uh, but I hear you talking about sort of, you can have all the network experience in the world or maybe all the network experience in a manufacturing plant in the world and be the best at that. But if you don't think generally enough about problem solving and, and how that applies to maybe not even the technical, maybe even the business and, and, and. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, yeah, I've had interviews where they only like the questions they asked, it's like so specific to their environment. And I did not work in that kind of environment. I hadn't really thought about that kind of environment. So I, I can give them a rough guess, but it would take me a lot more time than that interview to think in detail and say, okay, these are all the inputs. These are all the variables. These are all the permutations. These are all the things that can go wrong. You always need to be think to be a good engineer. You need to think about all the things that could go wrong, and almost in, in that way, be a business person and prioritize them in likely with probability, right? <laughs> you know, risk management. Okay, is this likely? Is this not? You know, is this like or not? Is this a corner case or is this going to happen all the time? But when when I'm interviewing someone, I, I really want to see their thought process, see how they would troubleshoot things. And, and I, I try to ask more open-ended, short questions and just let them go. One of the things I really ask about is, okay, packet comes in one port on a layer two device and goes out on a lot of other layer two device. What must that. happen? What could happen? What happens, right? What, you know, what, what happens? in a layer two scenario, and then doing a layer three scenario. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go in one port, out port another route. What, what are, just to show, not it's necessarily that they know everything, about, they're thinking yeah. about TTLs, they're thinking about 
buffering. They're thinking, okay, this could be multicast. It could be GRE encapsulated. It could be VXLAN encapsulated. It could go into an IPsec VPN. It could be NATed. Those are, you know, all potential things that could could happen on a layer three device, right? Well, and you're, what you're looking for is relative to their background and, and claimed expertise and experience. Right. Um, you know, you can always give hints, but, um, you know, it's not going to occur to a developer who hasn't looked at it that, you know, switches do Mac learning and, you know, versus they might have seen ARP, you know, from layer three. But if someone's saying they've been running large data centers, then they should know that or, or draw the Internet, which, again, for, let's say someone's a peering coordinator, but not, you know, a hands-on, you know, into, you know, this still should have some idea at some level and also yeah. gives you a good idea about do people come at it from the application side, the infrastructure side, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, you, you talked about diversity um, uh, of background and people that have pure networking experience are very, could be very senior with very specific network experience versus people that, you know, can bring an approach to it. Um, you know, the, the, the broader the set of people and backgrounds, the better questions you ask, the better answers you get. Um, you know, how do you think about um, uh, getting a, a diverse set of people um, in, in a networking organization? Um, you know, recruiting them, um, uh, pulling them from other parts of the company or, you know, yeah. from, from the world um, where there's, you know, especially at the senior level, there's, there's um, you know, we're disadvantaged in some ways uh, just due to history and, and, and approachability. Yeah, um, I, I guess part of, but I, I wear so many hats. So I do interface with a di lot of different parts of the company. So I do want to, you know, gauge interest and say, hey, would you like to have a session? Do you want to learn? Do you want to learn more about that? Mm -hmm. Because there's there's definitely more diversity when you you look across certainly an organization like Winnow that there's there's a lot of support people, there's a lot of developers, there's you know finance people, there's folks in those different roles that tend to be more diverse than just network engineers, right? And and I really think getting very young is very important. And this is something I've and, and it's, it's been a challenge for me. And I've reached out and. And I just moved and now COVID's winding down. So I, I plan to reach out again is go into high school and elementary school career days. And, and everyone's just so tied into their devices today, but they, it's almost neglected. It's like this magic just happens. I'm like, no, there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of engineering. There's a lot of resiliency. There's a lot of, like this, this scale to make watching whatever video you're watching or whatever social media site you happen to be hitting at that time work at that scale is is just mind-blowing and i think young young folks would be really fascinated by that so 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 get them you know young and i think a lot of people like really want to be and it's probably what happened to me is like i knew i wanted to be in technology i knew i wanted to be in computers but i didn't necessarily want to program i didn't want to necessarily necessarily design computer chips or to signals and systems that like detailed electrical engineering or, or mm -hmm. optical engineering. And, and maybe, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that is an option. When they ask like, what I do, I say, okay, I build the internet infrastructure. Well, what does that mean? And when you talk to people and say, okay, you're, you're sending data or you're making a phone call from Europe to the United States. And you talk about subsea landing stations and, and DWDM systems and, and other things and, and cable ships and, cable repairs and people are fascinated. Well, how is it powered? And you talk about that. It's like, you know, people are, oh, everyday people get pretty, pretty interested. In that. So if we start, you know, it's those people, you know, <laughs> they're already career. Internet infrastructure is in the news today, right? Yeah. It's been in the news. It keeps being in the news. I mean, it's, it's relevant to us right. and, and, and how we work, you know, um, uh, I mean, that's a great idea. Aaron Kagawa, who works for Kentic, talks about tech, not even specifically networking um, in Hawaii, and goes to different islands and talks to schools. I know Anna Claiborne was talking about, and Packet Fabric was talking about getting math folks 
which also, you know, is, is well, earlier in career is generally more diverse also, in, even in computer science, but getting math folks who study distribute, who think about parallel processing and algorithms and distributed systems or um, to, uh, you know, in control systems and to get them interested, you know, in the internet from that perspective. Um, I used to go to Temple University when I was still in Philly, although to your point, I went to talk to seniors which was much less useful than talking to freshmen would have been, um, uh, you know, uh, about, I found some interesting uh, folks that were interested, but, you know, they sort of, people had sort of already chose. chose what, what kind of messaging did those students run into earlier in their life that they thought maybe that wasn't a vi viable career path for them? But if we, we talk to them, to young, and, and technology is in just like every aspect of people's lives. And I talked to child A, and their thing is sports and child B, they, they want to watch videos and others is, you know, voice, voice recording in, in music, the technology is in there and you can, you can apply that and say, okay, well, I want to do video encoding at, in, in streaming locally or globally at, at scale. And, and I want to produce this and I want, I want to, you know, do a video or inter interactive or, or perhaps video now it's or metaverse, master, right. what have you, right? Yeah, perhaps now it's metaverse, right? Um, with uh, Facebook and their direction, yeah. everyone, the kids are not aware of the edge computing hype, but, you know, if you really want to have Ready Player One, uh, there's a lot of interesting network and, and software systems that have to be designed, uh, you know, to really make that happen. So um, uh, the other side is just like really investing in, in our schools and the technology they have, there's a lot of awesome, awesome teachers that may, maybe, you know, specialized in networking or an art or something else and, and use this technology and distance learning now that Zoom is so popular, but it was, or, or, or other, you know, streaming technologies after, after COVID, but it still seems like the classroom is traditional, that all the kids are still in the same town tied to a teacher in that same town, or if, luck, if you're really lucky, it's done on, on a county basis. Well, if you find 50 kids across the nation that are really interested in this specific area of, of technology or, or culture or arts and find an expert teacher and spread that person across all those kids using you know, these awesome technologies that we now have, it's really helped those kids, So um, you know, focus on something that they're they're passionate about and not get you know lost in the system and not you know get through high school and say you know i don't have an option i don't have a choice i it's i'm either going to go to college or i'm going to go you know work challenge. in retail it's almost like trades are are forgotten and and you know we talk about mentorship and you've mentioned this before it really it's really like a modern day apprenticeship mm -hmm. right right yeah, I mean, what's the Votech uh, for uh, for this kind of thing? I think that you know Nanog is trying to um, trying an approach towards this. I think what you're describing, I could see working. Maybe if there was a core curriculum and a bunch of people that were interested in in, in helping, yeah. and and maybe it wouldn't be uh, the density in every class or in every grade or in every district, but finding people that were um, interested in effectively a more interactive Khan Academy approach. Uh, maybe targeted high school versus college level uh, could be a good way of, of helping people get more educated. Um, and of course, people want to know about cloud and they want to know about architecture and, um, you know, also, but, you know, to have, to be able to do that on networking would probably be helpful. Um, uh, and we have, you know, some of that for people that we want to train up at Kentic and at Akamai. Um, I think the second week I did a class on BGP and we had half the company squeezing in the room to try to understand they'd already achieved massive success, but um, actually peering and how negotiating and policies and all that, you know, was sort of vague because uh, uh, came from computer science and a practical background, not, you know, from a networking side. So um, yeah, I've seen links really step into that space too. Mm -hmm. And I'll, tell, I'll have to take a look at that. Talk about, Oh, okay. How do we, how do we grow IXs? Well, People need to know what they exist. They need to understand BGP. They, they, they need to understand that there's, it, it used to be a very cost savings and, mm -hmm. and it, it still is, but there's just a lot more 
parts of, of diversity and capacity and, and being able to handle handle bursts and you know traffic is is all over the place with with geopolitical events and you know now so much of sporting events and other things are just live and in real time and this network goes from zero to 900 in, in seconds and then back down again appearing always had elements of cost performance control and diversity right having diverse paths gives you control and definitely in the 90s, it was more about cost at, you know, $2,000 a megabit. And right. now <laughs> transit can can be cheaper. In fact, for many of our customers, transit is cheaper. But the reason they don't do it is because then, you know, they're dependent. Now there's trade-offs. If you right. announce your paths to, uh, you know, 300 networks, there's 300 people that could do something bad with your routes. But, um, you know, especially for content-heavy folks, uh, having more paths means you actually have tools to fix things. Uh, so for content, you can't move to a CDN or multiple CDNs, um, you know, for the most part, not everywhere, but, you know, uh, outside of South Africa and, 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 you know, other places, it's the cost is not, you know, the primary factor there now. And, and, and path, as you said, path diversity is a major driver. There's yeah. really no downside to path diversity today. And routers can hold the paths. I mean, there used to be a downside, right? But right. we're not the routers are not blowing up on on RAM these days. Yeah, no, it's 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 working uh, overall pretty well. So, um, I mean, well, that, that it works, and that you know, we just talk about getting into the peering community and mail this, and just like, oh well, I just sent an email to someone, and then ten minutes or ten days later, they responded, and we just set up a BGP session, and now you know, we're exchanging more traffic over that link on a shared IX and backbones, you know, exchanged in the late nineties. Right. Right. No, I know. It's pretty crazy. I remember uh, a gentleman came up to me at a Nanog in 80, sorry, 99, I guess when I was at AboveNet, and he was like, you don't know me, but uh, I'm Aaron Quack and I'm behind, um, you know, I'm uh your big, probably your biggest source behind I forget Unit. I was like, oh, yes, I think it was 568, whatever, Bell Canada, Bell Nexia. Yeah. And he was, he was like, yes, how'd you know? I was like, well, I watch this stuff too. Although it was much harder to figure that out back then before, you know, when NetFlow was barely at all, much less being able to take the data and use it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of fun. Um, but again, separate topic, just the, the, the philosophies of peering um and uh, you know again the background a lot of it is about economics and politics and not just the technology so it's it is a beautiful thing when you can find people that are compatible and all of a sudden the customers get happier that's ultimately the best outcome and, and you, you'll meet some people and they're like oh man this company is so rough and then you actually they're not going to appear and you meet the person and it's not necessarily them it is the business decision they right. could be the most the nicest most helpful person and it will introduce you to other peers and 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 help you out. They may not be able to help you out, and they move for, for appearing with you know yeah. big eyeball network A. But that doesn't mean they're not going to help you out and, and and be valuable or or learn something from each other. Right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's also it is a direction I encourage people to go if they're not interested in as much in the technology side. And in some sense, it can be more welcoming because it is a much more diverse community because uh, people come from even more different backgrounds um, than the. Um, you know, let's face it, in, in networking, you can have very spirited debates about architecture and what's best here and what's best there. And um, now we have the same th debates in interconnection, but there are more likely to be people that may have a similar background to you or look like you or, you know, um, in those environments, um, especially when you go international. Um, and so I think they've done an even better job of keeping that up and and getting people from from a business side, from a technology side, you know, from um, sometimes a marketing side, and then sometimes even getting them to switch hats and get into the more of the technology. Um, although that rarely comes into backbone and cloud networking, usually it stays on the internet interconnection side. So, yeah. I mean, but as an industry, we just have so many job openings. We need yeah. to, we need to diversify. We need to focus on outreach. We need to get the, the people early and, you know, Maybe get some of those electrical engineers or <laughs> programmers before they they go down that path and say, "Well, networking's 
you know, really cool. Or other people say, you know, they want to be a business hybrid, yeah, no, technical I, I, hybrid, I think and, and go right. into and go into peering. Right? It's not just college. It's not just high school. It's not just um, you know internal transfers. Uh, I think we need a, a mixed, uh, diverse approach to it, um, and uh, uh, we'll uh, give it some further thought. Um, as uh, you know, like Cloudflare has done a great job with their learning center. We're trying to do something similar. Um, you know, a lot of other companies are also, but how do we, how do we curate and help people uh, do that for, and not just networking, but infrastructure in general, observability, system design, you know, all these things are related and the lines are blurring over time. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's, it can be hard to get into if you're, you know, starting with an iPhone, yeah. you know, and then trying to understand everything underneath. Um, that's a pretty big gap. It's a bigger gap than, you know, coming from an 8-bit computer and trying to serial connect it and then understanding networking, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the outreach, you know, you're doing, and a lot of people are starting to add those sections on their their websites, whether it's white papers or architectural diagrams or just general learning resources, and that's awesome. Unfortunately, a lot of them still are behind, not necessarily paywalls, but, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you have to give me information so I can market to you, and and that's going to, you know, turn off students. And and as a marketing person, <laughs> they're now going to be chasing ten college students, and they're not going to be buying anything. They just they just want to learn. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely something to think about. Well, thank you for the time and uh, for sharing. Definitely um, uh, seeing a lot of the pattern of folks using NetBox and trying to wrangle things together and, and understand how to do automation and. Hiring, as you said, you know, is a challenge for for everyone, um, and uh, needs definitely some creative ways of thinking about it. If uh, people want to find you, Bill, how, how can they reach out to you? Uh, best to just find me as a Bill Morantz on LinkedIn. Okay, usually the best way to contact me. Cool. And I'm uh, Avi Friedman on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, Avi at Kintech.com, um, and. Um, uh, if you uh, like um, this kind of format, um, uh, feel free to find, like, subscribe to Network AF if you have ideas for uh, other interesting um, topics, areas of discussion, uh, please ping me as well. Thanks again. Uh, thanks again, Bill. All right. Thank you, Ali.